We're going to dive right in. Uh, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and I'm going to lift up 13 verses to you out of that chapter, the first 13 verses. And this is uh, Israel's experience, which is an example for the modern day church. So let's put our listening ears on and get ready to receive the word of God. So 1 Corinthians 10, verses 1 through 13. It says, Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant. So God does not want us living in a state of ignorance. He, want us to, he wants us to have knowledge of his will, knowledge of his word. And it goes on to say how that our fathers were under the cloud. They passed through the sea, and they were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They did all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink, uh, drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, drank and drink, drunk. Praise the Lord, drunk in the Holy Ghost. And that rock was Christ. Listen, church, but with many of them, God was not well pleased. With many of them, God was not well pleased. Now, this is a reference uh, back from the Exodus that happened in the Old Testament. Uh, God has a plan for his people. God has a plan for his people. God has a plan for his people. That's good news. He just doesn't save you and have you wander around aimlessly without any intention or any purpose in life. God has a plan for you. And so when God delivered uh, the children of Israel out of, uh, ex out of Egypt in the book of Exodus, God had a plan to bring them out, to bring them in. God always has a plan to bring you out in order to bring you into something. It's just not to bring you out where you're wandering around aimlessly. No, God is a God of purpose. He's a God of destiny. He's a God of intention. But you can see in this Old Testament example, he was not pleased with many of them. He brings them out. Exodus is a book of deliverance. Leviticus is a book of sanctification. We have the book of Numbers, which is the journey of uh, the children of Israel. We have Deuteronomy, which is a book of in, um, instruction. Then we have the book of Joshua, which is a, the book of possession. Because yeah. God's in, intent was to bring Israel out of Egypt yeah. through the wilderness into the promised land. In 1 Corinthians, it says that all of God's promises are yes and amen. So the question is, why uh, do, do we not get the promises fulfilled in our life? And I'll tell you this, it's, never, it's not an unwillingness on God's part. It's not an unwillingness on God's part. Matter of fact, God desires and craves for you to be maximized in your life and his promises fulfilled in your life. But there is a man's side and there is a God's side. We know it was God's will to bring them into the promised land, but it says with many of them he was not well pleased. So we can be in a relationship with God, but we can, we can uh, not be pleasing to him if we're not lined up with his statutes, his precepts, and his will. So let's read on. Uh, they were overthrown in the wilderness. Say, God, say this, say, God doesn't want me to die in the wilderness. Let's say it again. God does not want me to die in the wilderness. Now listen, church. Egypt represents the land of not enough. The wilderness represents a land of just enough. Canaan land represents a land of more than enough. 
John chapter 10, verse number 10 says that God came to give us life and to give it to us more abundantly. So Canaan is the land of more than enough. Many of them, though, God was not pleased with them. Where did they die at? In the land of just enough. These are, these are uh, the children of Israel that were in covenant with God, just as we're in covenant with God today. So God's got great things in store for you. Now let's read on. Now these things were our examples to the intent we should not. And he lists five reasons why uh, the children of Israel, those that did not please God, those that were overthrown in the wilderness, why they did not get in to Canaan land, the land that's more than enough. So they highlight them in these upcoming verses. Now these were our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Neither uh, you be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day, 23,000 people. Neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and they were destroyed of the serpents. Neither murmur you as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer goes on to reiterate what they said before he gave these five things. Now all these things happened unto them for examples, and they were written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of this world are come. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he stands take heed, lest he fall. Wherefore, let him that thinks he stand take heed, lest he fall. Listen, there is no temptation to you, and these five things they listed are temptations. But there's no temptation that's taken you, but such as is common to man. Uh, what you're going through, the person to your right or your left, they've gone through similar things. Uh, the thought processes, the devil telling you can't make it, the temptations that come to your life, everybody in this church has gone through similar things. But listen to what the Word of God tells us about victory. It says uh, these are common to man, but God is faithful. Yeah. God is faithful. He will not suffer you to be tempted above what you're able, but with the temptation, he will make a way of escape. God is faithful. The word faithful means that he is a faithful in the transaction of business, the execution of commands, and the discharge of his official duties. He is trustworthy. He is worthy of our confidence. Listen, trust means I don't have to be concerned. And when the Bible says God is faithful, that means I don't have to be concerned. He's going to pull me out of any situation that looks overwhelming if we put our trust in him, if we put our trust in him. Now, I want to go to the book of Romans, and we're going to read the entire book. No, we're not going to do that. I do want to give you a high-level overview, though, real quick, just a summary of the book. Uh, really, to get to the 12th chapter, but I want to set this up in context, okay? Uh, it's a great book. Most of uh, the, the Paul's epistles were, um, uh, you know, had correction to them, um, some eschatology, different subjects that were, you know, just uh, ongoing themes within most of his epistles. Romans is a little bit different. It's more didactic, more uh, instructional, and just teaching, really. And you got to consider the culture, you know, the Roman church. It was mostly Gentiles. There was some Jews. So he gives a really good picture of righteousness and how people are born again in the book of Romans. It is a, uh, just a real good theological book on the subject of righteousness. 
Um, so just a high-level overview, really uh, the first three, three chapters are just showing the need for divine righteousness. Really, in the third chapter, it comes to the conclusion that none of us are righteous, not one, all right? Um, so then we get to the fourth chapter. That's really just an illustration of faith in the life of Abraham. Uh, we see in the fifth chapter that uh, faith is really enjoyed in the sense that we're glad that we have faith now. Romans 5, 17, great passage of Scripture. Uh, those that are in Christ, they will reign in life yeah. as kings. What a great statement. Those that are in Christ, in his righteousness, will reign in life. Uh, verses 6 and uh, chapter 6 and 7 really go through some of uh, the struggles or the temptations. Uh, really, in chapter 7, Paul covers the struggle with sinful tendencies and fleshly lusts, whether... Uh, he refers to his own experience before or after conversion as a question concerning many Bible students, um, but they really, it really shows the strife going on in the human heart. Chapter 8 is a pivotal chapter because, you know, the book builds. And when you're reading the Bible, you just can't take one scripture and take it out of context. It's like if I left my wife, uh, uh, Angie, a note, and, you know, she only picked up in the middle of the note and said, I'm leaving you. And that's all she read. You know, but she didn't read to go to Starbucks to get your white chocolate mocha because I know you like those better than roses. So she, if she just read that one statement, she could take that out of context, get very frustrated, get upset. Uh, you know, we could have some intense time of fellowship, and I would have to explain to her, you need to read the whole letter. How many times is the Holy Spirit saying, read on? Yeah. Read on. Take it all in context. Uh, so chapter 8 is really the way of sanctification. So they're really, it's really an exclamation point. Even though he talks about some struggles, the law, uh, you know, the commandment, uh, when we get to chapter 8, uh, really the Holy Spirit is the theme in chapter 8. The person the Holy Spirit's mentioned 19 times in that chapter, and we can just uh, title this chapter the chapter of sanctification. And uh, you know what? The church needs the person of the Holy Spirit. If you're going to live in Canaan land, if you're going to be successful, Really, being filled with the Holy Ghost is not an option. Being filled with the Holy Ghost and fellowshipping with Him on a daily basis shouldn't be an option. Fellowshipping with Him on a daily basis. Uh, the same way you'd fellowship with a spouse or with a friend, uh, He lives on the inside of you. And it does a great benefit uh, when you exercise and practice that every day. It really adds when you come to the church service. It adds when you come to a prayer meeting. Listen, um, I have a craftsman tractor at my house. Thank God for a tractor. And um, a couple years back, probably about three years ago, um, the, sea, you know, the, the grass season ended as far as mowing the lawn is concerned. We got into our short winter period in Florida. I went back in the spring to crank it up, and it was dead. And so I had to go down to... Sears and get a new uh, battery, cost me about 80 bucks. And uh, really, I believe, you know, just the Holy Spirit said, you know, the reason uh, that it went dead is because you didn't start it up all winter. Uh, so I made an adjustment. Just in little things like that, the Holy Ghost can lead you. So, uh, you know, I went up and started, you know, every week. One time I let it go about three weeks. I noticed on that third week to crank it, it took just a little bit longer. Why? Because I hadn't been practicing Turn, that's that, the charge, you know. That's what I'm talking about, your prayer life. And when you come into corporate prayer, if you haven't been praying for a while, guess what? Somebody like Pastor Marcy, it takes a little more to crank it to get it turned over. Yeah. 
But man, if you got that thing going on a daily basis, man, it's primed, it's ready to go. I mean, it's easy to enter in. It's easy for God to move in this place. There doesn't have to be a lot of prodding or, uh, or priming to get you going. Uh, so you have a huge part to play in what's said in the church as far as coming prepared. And you, this is why you need the Holy Spirit. So in Romans um, 10 and 11, really, God deals with the nation of Israel. Uh, chapters uh, 12 through 16 deals with righteousness practice, practiced. So chapters 12 through 16 deals with righteousness practice. And instructions are given concerning Christian duties. And Paul covers uh, the call to consecration, the use of gifts, personal relationships, political relationships, public relationships, fraternal relationships, and personal plans. There's interesting stuff in the Bible. <laughs> Deals with every avenue and aspect of life. So Romans 12 really launches out in this practical Christian living, uh, righteousness practice. And I just want to cover the first uh, two verses of Romans 12, uh, verses 1 to 2, familiar passage of Scripture. I'm going to read it from a few different translations just to set the tone. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. This is your reasonable service. Not unreasonable, but reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good acceptable and perfect will of God. Everybody's looking for the will of God. Well, there's something you need to do to qualify to be a candidate to be in the middle of God's will. Yeah. And Paul's saying these two factors that qualifies you as a candidate to be in the middle of God's will is to do something with your body and do something with your mind. In order to qualify for God's will, you need to do something with your body, you need to do something with your mind. Notice, righteousness is already settled. Jesus Christ, we already, that's why I gave the overview from chapters 1 through 8. He's already done something in the spiritual realm that you've entered in through, through faith, and now he's asking you to do something with your mind and with your body. So the way translation says it this way, I appeal to you then by all the compassions of God, O oh my brothers, bring your lives Set them by the altar as a sacrifice, a living one, a hallowed one, acceptable to God. Do not conform to the externalities of this world. Nay, let your characters be transformed by the birth of a new life purpose so that you may put God's design to the test of your own experience and so prove how kind, how gladdening, and how flawless he is. The J.B. Phillips uh, says the second verse this way, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. That just makes a moldy Christian. <laughs> but let God remold your minds from within. Let God remold your minds from where? Within, out of your spirit, the Holy Spirit. One of his job descriptions is to remind you of truth. So out of your spirit, he will remind you of scripture which will come up to your mind. Then it is your responsibility, your joy, your delight to think on that scripture. 
And if you do this, it says, so that you may prove in practice. Listen, you, don't even, you can't even get to this part of the promise if you're not doing the first part. So that you may prove in practice the plan God has for you is good, meets all his demands, and moves toward the goal of true maturity. Turn to your neighbor and say, grow up. Turn to one on the other side and say, grow up. God wants you to grow up. It's one thing to wet your bed at 16, another thing to wet your bed at 46. Sixteen's rough, yeah. Six, four. Thank you for doctrinally correcting me, four. I don't know why I said 16. Maybe the Holy Spirit was talking to somebody. Now they feel really bad. All right. The Barclay says it like this. Your whole mental outlook must be radically altered. Your whole mental outlook must be radically altered. Listen to what Matthew 27, uh, verse number 29 says. Now, Jesus went to the cross, spirit, soul, and body, to redeem man, spirit, soul, and body. Jesus Christ went to the cross, spirit, soul, and body, to redeem man, spirit, soul, and body. It's more than just getting born again. Thank God uh, for the new birth, the greatest miracle and love plan on the planet. Uh, that we literally have the nature of God on the inside of us, the Zoe life of God. And not only just the Zoe life, but we have the agape love of God on the inside of us. Man, if you would just meditate on those two things and just say, I have the life of God on the inside of me. I have the love of God on the inside of me. Some of these things that may be besetting you or bothering you, they would really, over a period of weeks or months of you consistently doing this, really would just fall off. If you start to live from the inside out, then instead of the outside in, and just say, the love of God's on the inside of me, the life of God is on the inside of me, I live out of that. But he came to redeem us, spirit, soul, and body. We know uh, the spiritual side's taking place of, listen, it is God's will for you to be well. Uh, there's a thing past healing, it's called health. There's a thing past healing called health. And God wants you to be healed, whole, but he also wants you just to have divine health. Yeah. Over in Proverbs chapter 4, it says, if you keep the word before you, be health to all your flesh. What's the difference? When I'm in health, I never need healed. Right. When I'm in divine health, I never have a need of healing. When I'm in health, I never have need of healing. Thank God he will heal if you're sick. It's his will. But there's, there's even a higher level living. Just keep his word before you. I got the nature of God on the inside of me, the love of God, the life of God. I'm going to walk in love. You know, I think more sickness is the result of uh, being overly stressed, overly worried, and, and being in unforgiveness than anything else. You know, when you get stressed to the point, some stress is good. There's a thing called you stress. It's positive stress. It helps you meet challenges and deadlines. But when you get into distress or hyperstress, that's where your arteries start constrict, uh, constricting, your blood flow or your heart increases as far as beats per minute. And, you know, it's not always, you know, what you're, what's eating you or what you're eating that's killing you. It's what's eating you that's killing you, right? So 
Thank God he will heal. 1 Peter 2.24, by his stripes, we are healed. We know Isaiah 53, uh, you know, that he, he took uh, our infirmities on him so that we could be whole in him. But also, your mind, spirit, soul, and body. Your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. We saw in Romans 12, 1 and 2, we need, there's something we got to do with our body. There's something we need to do with our mind if we're going to walk out the perfect will of God in our life. So Matthew 27, 29 says, and when they had uh, uh, plaited a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head. So this is talking about Jesus uh, before he goes to the cross. They're really mocking him and making fun of him because everybody's saying he's the king of the Jews. But think about that. They took a, a sharp, thorny bush, made it into a crown, really to mock him, and took it and shoved it into his his brain, not his, all the way his brain, but into his head, it punctured his skin, and blood flowed. So what do we get from that is, you know, spirit, soul, and body, even our minds can be renewed because the blood of Christ can help heal this thing. Put a crown of thorns so even our thinking can be redeemed. All right? With all that being said, I want to go to the book of Joshua. And I'm fascinated with the book of Joshua. Many questions I have when I read through it. Uh, but it's a great book. And really, you know, Jesus, his name is a transliteration of the, the name Joshua. Actually, his name is Jesus, really comes from Joshua, and another word that means to be saved, liberated, or delivered. Uh, so those two old Hebrew, uh, the, the two Hebrew names coming together actually give us the name Jesus. Uh, but it's interesting because Joshua brings them into the promised land. And in the new covenant reality, Jesus can bring us into the promised land. All right? So in, in chapter 1, let's go ahead and just read through some of this. It's not a long chapter, so it wouldn't be as bad as reading through Romans chapter, the book. 16 chapters. Um, let me pull it up. I want to read it in a different translation. I brought a Bible, but I want to go with the King James. Um, now, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke unto Joshua, the son of Nun, uh, Moses' minister. So this man faithfully served Moses. And he said, Moses, uh, my servant is dead. Now arise. That means stand up, spring forth. It's time to break through. Go over this Jordan, thou and all the people unto the land which I do give you, even to the children of Israel. Now, this is a transition passage. You know, transition defined means a passage from one state, stage, or subject, or place to another. So this is a transition of verses. It's a transition in leadership from Moses to Joshua. And listen, church, it's important that we don't live our lives just for ourselves, but we live our lives in a way that we can pour uh, this good news, pour this truth, pour the anointing, uh, pour the impartation into another generation uh, that will continue on the work of the kingdom of God in the earth. Amen. So we need to make sure that we're constantly looking uh, to pour the truth into future generations that really uh, promises that will go beyond our lifetime. You know, even in the natural, with families, 
fathers, mothers, they want uh, their kids to go further, faster than what they did. How much more does God want to use his willing vessels in the earth, use them to pour into the next generation that they go further, faster than we did? You know, we, we've really entered in to others' labors. We're not the only church that God has uh, birthed in St. Augustine, the only vision. There's been other pastors we've heard about that had to have had a heart for St. Augustine long before we even came, prayed for it. You know, so we really enter into others' labor. So we want to make sure uh, that we keep this attitude before us. It was also a, transli- a trans- uh, transition in location. They're getting ready to go in the promised land. All of God's promises are yes and amen. Now listen, this promised land is a recurring theme from Genesis chapter 12, verse number seven. I'll read this to you. The Lord appeared unto Abraham and said unto your seed, why give this land, talking about Canaan land. So in Genesis chapter 12, verse number seven is the first time this promise is made to an individual. There's gonna be a land that the children of Israel are gonna get into. And man, it's just a theme that goes through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And I like it because the picture becomes even sweeter in Leviticus. Don't you know God's a good God? So he he always gives you just a little bit more so you go a little bit further. He said, Abraham, I'm going to give your descendants this land. But in Leviticus, he he spices it up a little bit. He says in uh, the 20th chapter, the 24th verse, he says, but I have said unto you, you shall inherit their land and I will give it to you to possess it. A land, now listen, this is what he adds, a land that flows with milk and honey, I am the Lord your God, which has separated you from other people. Now, when I was reading that verse in the Amplified a couple years back, I looked at the footnote, and it says about this phrase, milk and honey, it said it referred to the abundant fertility of the land of Canaan. Milk is typically that of goats and sheep was associated with abundance. Honey referred mainly to syrups made from dates or grapes, and was the epitome of sweetness. So God wants you to live the abundant, sweet life. You believe that? Say that. Say, God God wants me, point to yourself, to live live the sweet life life. and the abundant life. life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So there's a theme that goes on in this. Let's read on. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon that I have given unto you, this is the third verse of Joshua 1, as I've said unto Moses, every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, I have given you. He describes in verse number four, some of the locations. Number, verse number five, he said, there shall not be any man that shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I'll be with you. I will not fail you nor forsake you. Verse number six, be strong and of good courage for unto this people shall thou divide for inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous that thou may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn to the right hand or to the left that thou may prosper wherever you go. Verse number eight is really the key that connects Romans 12, verse number two. So really it's my key text tonight. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, 
but you shall meditate therein day and night that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make with our way prosperous, and then you shall have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage, be not afraid, neither be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So the theme that's interwoven in those four verses from uh, verse 6 to verse number 9, he says to be strong and courageous several times. To be strong and courageous. Don't be timid, don't be withdrawn, but be strong and courageous. The word strong means to grow in strength. It doesn't mean that you're as strong as you're going to be currently as you will be in the future. But just like in the natural, it takes exercise, hallelujah, some W-O-R-K, to get stronger. Matter of fact, one definition of uh, this word strong means to be sore. <laughs> you ever felt sometimes like you're being stretched? You're a little bit spiritually sore in your muscles? God, I'm, I'm aching a little bit today. Rebuking the devil. <laughs> God said, no, I'm just exercising your love walk. You got to have discernment. Is this the devil or is this God? Because I'm feeling a little bit spiritually sore. Just in the same way, maybe some of you have joined a gym or an exercise class at some point in your life and you haven't worked out for years. You go for the first workout. The next morning you, you wake up, it's like a Mack truck hits you. Right? You go good for about a month, then you stop for about another 12 months. You go back, what happens? Same thing. You lost, you lost momentum, you lost progress. Once you obtain, you got to at least maintain. Right? How much more spiritually? You could be, and, and this, this is a constant, the same way in the natural church. If I, if I get my diet right, if I exercise right, guess what? I'm going to have more stamina, I'm going to feel better, I'm going to be stronger. But if I ever stop, there's a thing called atrophy, where you start to weaken and lose. Same thing spiritually. Listen, this is not a United States government job in the kingdom of God. That's good. Say it again. This is not a United States federal job in the kingdom of God. We just keep you on because you've been there for 30 years. We want you to be there. But if you stop your spiritual routine, you're going to be atrophied and a weak person can't do much. So we need to be strong. But then he says, be courageous. Now this word courageous comes out of strength. It's really Strength made visible. I like one of David's mighty men because he really shows courage. And, and when you're walking with God over years and decades, you should grow in strength. Right. Uh, things that may have detoured you or uh, distracted you or delayed you or you may have been afraid of years ago, you just want to pick a fight with the devil every once in a while when you grow in God, right? So one of David's mighty men... One day, he's walking, it's a snowy day. He sees a lion that's stuck down in a deep pit. And you know what? Just for the fun of it, he got down in the pit. 
He was courageous. And when you get down in a snowy pit, on, a, a, a deep pit on a snowy day, you're committed. It's like breakfast, right? The chicken is involved with the eggs, but the pig is committed because he had to give his life, right? right. So you're committed. This isn't something I'm watching on National uh, Discovery Channel, you know, or the, uh, the National Geography Channel or whatever, you know. This is I'm committed. But courage is strength made visible. And so we need to go on the devil's territory. Thank God we get to go uh, to any uh, social, economical uh, place, um, you know, anywhere in, in, in our community. We're not scared to go to the up and outers or the down and outers. We will go on any territory and flee back darkness and bring light, bring truth, and bring salt. Just like we went into West Augustine this past Saturday, uh, we're going to carry ourselves, we're going to conduct ourselves. There's some words you may have not have heard of in a while coming out of the crowd. Well, I haven't heard that one for a while, you know, bleepity bleep, bleep, bleep. But praise God. <laughs> but we're not afraid. We're not afraid. We're a church that's passionate, and we'll go out and get territory back. Hallelujah. So let's zero in on Joshua 1.8, though, which ties in with Romans 12.2. It says, This book of law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate therein day and night, that thou may observe to do according to all that's written therein, for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and, thou shalt have good, and then thou shalt have good success. So this book, this book, this book is a legal document. It's a book of prophecy. It is the record of Almighty God. This is a legal binding document. God is bound by his word. In the Supreme Court of Heaven, when we, when we declare this word and we believe in this word, Things will move. Things will change. This book of the law. Now, the law was obviously the Mosaic law that Joshua was referring to, but it's also the precept, the principle, or the fundamental truth of the word of God. So this book of truth, it shall not depart. That means don't, don't remove this book from your mouth. Don't withdraw from saying the word of God. Don't cease speaking the word of God. This is how you start to get atrophy in the spirit is when your confession wanes. When you quit speaking, when the cares of life, the business of life, the, maybe the daily duties, they get your mouth to shut. No, we need to be vocal in our confession of this book. Your mouth speaks of the opening of a well or a river. James says, you know, you could have salt water, you could have fresh water with this mouth. We know in Proverbs 18 it says that a death and life are in the power of the tongue. Those that love it will eat the fruit thereof. If you're getting rotten fruit, are you saying the right thing? But it's, your mouth is like a well or a river. John chapter 7, verse number 38 says, He that believes on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. This, the confession, listen, not only plant seed, but it water seed. Yeah. 
The confession uh, not only plants seed, but it'll water what you've already said. The very word, listen, the very word Abram, his name was changed to Abraham, was the fa- meant the father of many nations. Even when it didn't look like the promise was going to come to pass, every time somebody said his name, they were speaking to him out of their mouth, you are the father of many nations. You are the father of many nations. You are the father of many nations. So never get tired uh, driving on to this parking lot and saying, thank you, Lord, that we're possessing this property to serve this community. Out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. Man, if we can all unify on this and we can all speak it, just not a few of us, but we all come together, how good and how pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell in unity. It's like an anointing. Thank God we should be excited when we come on the property, not thinking, man, how many years has it been? Hey, with faith and patience, if Abraham could wait and not waver. The Bible says he didn't waver in his faith, but he was strengthened, giving glory to God. So we got to say something with our mouth. Don't Don't stop speaking. Don't stop speaking the word of God. So listen, but you shall meditate therein day and night. This is our part to play. This is why I went to Romans 12, uh, 1 and 2. It talks about your body, but we're really getting it on the mind right now. How how are you going to renew your mind? It's the principle of meditation. If you're going to know the will of God, then you have to submit your body and renew your mind. And how are you going to renew your mind? By this principle of meditation. What is meditation? Meditation means to utter, to speak, to imagine, to ponder, to rehearse. A lot of us may rehearse hurts. You're, you're doing meditation in the negative. You're revolving that thing over. You're meditating. It's just on the wrong thing. Just flip the switch over. Cast that thought down and don't give, look, you're giving the devil avenue and access into your life and you're stale in the will of God, like you're not making any progress. And all it is is a simple game time adjustment that can happen like that. It means to rehearse, it means to review it. Think about the promises, even the promised land Abraham declared it, he told it to Isaac, Isaac told it to Jacob, Jacob told it to 12 patriarchs, Moses heard about it. They just kept on reviewing and rehearsing that thing and speaking about it and talking about it. Man, when we're walking down the the hallway at church, there should be some godly conversation going on. People are being discipled at Anchor Faith Church. People are finding their purpose in Christ at Anchor Faith Church. This church is possessing them all. This church is impacting the community. Psalms chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. said, blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. Hallelujah. Watch what TV shows you let into your mind. Watch what articles you read. Listen. Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. Be guarded on, on the voices that you allow. 
Man, if you're getting, I'm going to be real extreme, but if you're getting all your information about relationships from Dr. Phil, (laughs) I'm not knocking him, but listen, he's going to give you secular advice, not godly counsel. And there's a difference between good advice and godly counsel. And the distance is from hell to heaven. All right, so don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Don't stand in the way of sinners. Don't sit in the seat of the scornful. Three things he highlights if you want to be blessed. Not only does he tell you not what to do, but then he tells you what to do. But delight in the law of the Lord. Meditate day and night. God will never ask you to do something that wasn't possible to do. A majority of Christians live and die without having their soul renewed. James 1 tells us that. But a majority of Christians live and die in the wilderness. God's not pleased with many believers, and they're being overthrown, not because God doesn't will for you to get in a cane land, just you choose not to cooperate with him and meditate upon the word. It's so easy to do. And he says day and night. So you need to think about this day and night. And what's the promise? You shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit in season. There's different seasons in life, but every season you'll bring forth fruit. Your leaf shall not wither, and whatever you do or doeth, as the King James Version says, shall prosper. God wants you to prosper. Canaan land is more than enough. God has given us a key in Romans chapter 12, verse number 2, and Joshua chapter 1, verse number 8, to renew the mind if you want to get into the land of more than enough. Psalms chapter 4, verse number 4. Stand in awe, stand in awe of really of God, and sin not. When you stand in awe of God, it'll keep you from sin. When you, when you think about his majesty, when you think about his power, when you think about his love, and you're in all of those things, it'll, it'll keep you from sin. It goes on to say, commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. So even as you go to bed tonight, this is an exercise for you tonight. Instead of watching the nightly news and going straight to bed, have you ever noticed the news doesn't do a whole lot of positive stuff? As I've heard it said one time, CNN, constantly negative news. And so you listen to that before you go to bed. And guess what? That gets into your conscience. And you go to bed thinking about that stuff. Then you wake up anxious. And you wonder why. But this, this verse says, commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. So just practice this. Instead of watching negative news or thinking about the wrong thing, get your Bible out and say, Lord, give me a scripture that I can just start rehearsing, reviewing, speaking. Put on a little praise and worship before you go to bed tonight. End your day on a good note. Ed Coles used to say, start your day with Proverbs, end your day with Psalms. Psalms was the hymnal book for children of Israel. And Psalms, I feel a double anointing when it comes to Bible reading in the book of Psalms. I could read five days in five minutes because most of them are short. You feel like you're making some real progress 
in your yearly Bible reading when you get to the book of Psalms until you get to Psalms 119. <laughs> but read a psalm at night. You know, David sung. Why was David so powerful? Because he worshiped God. But this is one way to think about him, to speak about him. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 14 through 15. Once again, we see the same pattern. God tells you not what to do. It tells you uh, what not to do. Neglect not the gift that is in you. Isn't that amazing that God could give you something, but you can neglect it? God can give you a gift. As we know in the parable of talents, every born-again child of God has a gift an ability on the inside of them, but you can neglect that gift. So don't neglect it. It was given by prophecy, the laying, in, and, uh, laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Then it says, meditate upon these things. Give yourself wholly to them that your profiting may appear to all. So what's Paul telling Timothy? If you really want the gift to come out, if you really want to be maximized, if you really want to have more than enough, then you have to cooperate with God through this thing called meditation. You got to ponder that prophecy. You got to review that prophetic word. You got to think about the word of God. You got to speak the word of God. He wants your property not just to appear in your life, but listen, love thinks about others. Lust thinks about just self. So if I meditate upon the word, you're going to have the highest sphere of influence over time in what God has called you to do. He'll open up doors. The Bible says that your gift will make room for you and bring you before great men. A lot of people's gifts aren't making room because they neglect the gift. And then they say, is God mad at me? I wonder where he's at in my life. Well, if you take a, a checkup from the neck up, and what are you really thinking about? What are you really speaking? Well, I tried it for five hours. I tried it for five days. I tried it for five weeks. Don't try it, do it. Yeah. Abraham didn't waver over 25 years. Right. He's an Old Testament saint that didn't have the Holy Ghost living on the inside of him. Right. If he can continue to believe something for 25 years, how much more a New Testament believer can stand on the promises through the anointing right. and say, God, I will see your promises fulfilled. You said it, it is done. but we got to meditate day and night. Joshua 1, 8 goes, one, uh, chapter 1, verse number 8 goes on to say that you may observe to do according to all that is written therein, that you may observe to do all that is written therein. Now listen, that word observe means you need to guard what God has given you, to keep her to guard. It's the same word from Genesis chapter 2, verse number 15, when it says the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to dress it and to keep it. That word keep, it's the same word as observe. And what's my point in this? Is God put Adam and Eve in the perfect environment, but they didn't observe, they didn't keep what God gave them, and they lost that perfect environment. God's got a great plan for you once you live in Canaan land, but you have to keep what God has given you. You've got to observe and guard what God has given you. The word that he's spoken to you, you need to guard it. And there, listen to this. As we do this, this is the promise that he's going to make your way prosperous and you'll have good success. Your way is your journey in God, your, the plan of God, the direction of God. Notice your way just doesn't come about by happenstance. It's not fate. If it happens, it's going to happen. If it be the will of God. 
No, it is the will of God that your way be prosperous and you have good success, but there's something you have to do. It's, and if you do meditate upon the word of God, guess what happens? Then you can line up with the divine destiny of what God has. He will, he will lay the path out there for you. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not to your own meditation, your own thoughts, but in all your ways acknowledge him. Yeah. What's that saying? My, out of my, the Holy Spirit's bringing scriptures to me into my mind. I'm thinking about those scriptures and I'm acknowledging them on a daily basis. Yeah. I'm acknowledging them. Then it says, then he will make your paths straight. Everybody's looking for the path of God, but you got to do what he's, uh, what he's demanding of you in order to line up with the path. Now he's, he promises two things at the end of this scripture that I'll make your way prosperous and you'll have good success. And I want to know what is the difference, Lord, between prosperity and success? Because I want to, I want to, I want Canaan land. A lot of times I just think about Caleb over in uh, the 14th chapter, just give me this mountain. I like when the, when the children of Joseph came and they just, they just cried out to Joshua. They said, we don't got enough land. And Joshua said, well, Go get some more. <laughs> he said, just listen, go cut down some trees and make some more space. If you're not satisfied with what you have, God's saying there's more out there. Go take some more territory. We're sitting around waiting. God's, and you know what they said? Well, the people down there, they have chariots that, and iron chariots. <laughs> and Joshua said, you're more than able to conquer them. You're in the promised land. Now listen, get, get this point. I want you to get this takeaway. God said you're going to possess a land. But they possessed the land by dispossessing the inhabitants that were in the land. You get what I'm saying? The only re- it's not like they went to the land and there was nobody there. They had to literally dispossess the enemy. So what's the greatest fight in your mind that you need to dispossess get rid of, rebuke, put under your feet where it belongs so you can possess the promises of God. So he he promised prosperity. Prosperity means to advance, to make progress, to be profitable. Let me paint this picture for you. Uh, the believers at Anchor Faith Church that are, that are sitting under the word and doing it should be some of the most successful employees at your job. The believers at Anchor Faith Church, thank God for the other churches in the community, but we know, we know what we're ministering, and we know the word that's coming out to equip you to do the work of the ministry. I'm talking about promotions, influence, leadership, wherever you're at. It's quiet. I guess nobody wants to get promoted. (laughs) Promotion doesn't come from the east or west. It comes from the Lord. If you're meditating upon the word, you're guarding it, you're doing it, guess what happens? You're going to start to rise. I like what Kenneth E. Hagin told his wife, Aretha, this is where 
the founder of the Bible school that we went to, uh, Pastor Earl Marcy, uh, myself, Pastor Marcus. Um, he said, Aretha, if you stick with me, we're going to be well off. This is this in a season in their life when they actually hadn't gone without eating uh, for about 48 hours. And he said, you know, uh, my stomach started feeling my backbone because it just shrunk. But he said, if you stick with me, and I remember him testifying, and this is just the goodness of God. We don't care about material possessions. God doesn't mind you having possessions. He minds possessions having you. Money is amoral. There's no morality to money. The person that possesses the money gives the morality to it. It's just like a brick. I could take a brick and throw it through a window. I could take a brick and build something with it. That's how money is. But by the time they got into their later life, she had like uh, seven fur coats. Just stick with God. Payday doesn't come every Friday, but it will come. He promised it. The word prosper means you're going to push forward, you're going to break out. Glory to God. And let's look at this last one as we're closing. And he said, you'll have good success. Now, I like prosperity, but I like the game risk. I don't know if anybody's played risk before, but I just like strategy. And I like to win. And I will say things at that table to get in your mind so I can win. <laughs> Did you really want to do that? But that could be reverse psychology where they didn't want me to do that, but I really wanted you to do that. But success, the reason I like this word, because I'm going to give you three definitions of success. Number one, it means to be circumspect. This is one of God's promises. Meditation is the matrix of creativity. It's the womb of where solutions come from, meditation. To be circumspect, circumspect literally, uh, it means this, to look on all sides, to be able to examine carefully all the circumstances that may affect a decision. So when you're circumspect because you're meditating upon the word, you, you literally get the wisdom of God to be able to see really well in any circumstance so you can make the right decision. The word uh, success also means to be prudent. The word prudent means you're careful of the consequences of enterprise, and you can foresee things by instinct. You can foresee things by instinct. So when you're meditating upon the word, that means you'll be successful, which means you'll be prudent. You could actually have a head up on the competition because out of meditating upon the word of God, you're gonna get wisdom to handle things well in the affairs of this life. The last definition of success means to have insight. And that means to have uh, the sight or view on the interior of anything, deep inspection, thorough knowledge or skill. So when you have insight, you have deep inspection, thorough knowledge or skill. Meditation is the matrix of creativity. Hallelujah.